Welcome to Neighborhood Church. To learn more about who we are as a community or to financially support Neighborhood, go to neighborhoodchurchmn.org. Enjoy the message. All right, folks, good to see you back. Uh, this, is, this is fun. I did this only a few weeks ago. It's nice to be back. Normally, Chris makes me go like months and months, well, years before he lets me speak again because he never knows what I'm going to say. Just fair. So we're going to do something fun today. I specifically told Chris to not put in uh, the notes what we're going to be talking about today. Because last time I did this, nobody showed up because it's everybody's favorite topic. We're going to be talking about racial inclusion today. And even as we say that, like even for me, it's, it's a big topic around this area that is like you kind of get tight in your chest. Am I going to get called out? Am I going to like feel bad? But no, today's going to be cool because it's going to be a lot of just question and answers is what we're doing today. So if you don't know me, I'm Mike Valdez. I've been here while doing church and ministry with Chris and Nikki. Like, what year is this one? 23, 6, I did this last time and I couldn't remember. It's like 15 years or something like that, I think. And um, yeah, I've been around in the area. I grew up down in the Minneapolis area, but I've been up here since 20, 2007, and just learning and growing. I have Mike Hendricks here with me. I was originally going to do this by myself, but somebody that knows a lot about this topic as well and has done a lot of growth in this area um, is my buddy Mike, which is really cool. Uh, it's good to bring in a white guy that has done a lot of this work and has a lot of perspective as well, just to kind of give two different perspectives on what we're going to be talking about. So... So the way this is going to run is I'm going to tell my story very briefly. You all know me. I love to talk. So I'm going to do this as quick as I can, just kind of tell my perspective where I come from. We're going to let Mike give his perspective, and then we're just, it's going to be open, open mic for any questions that you all have, and I'll explain what that's going to look like in a second. So like I said, I grew up in Minneapolis. I'm 36 right now. I grew up in Minneapolis, went to a... Um, that's Christian. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> went, to a, <laughs> went to a Christian private school growing up. Grew up in um, Free Lutheran. Man, I, it's weird that I forget. Um, a Free Lutheran church, which is, I don't really know how to explain it, uh, what a Free Lutheran church is, but it's a Christian church, I guess. Uh, so we did that as a family. I got um, a few brothers and sisters, had mom and dad, so we had a really nice, tidy family, wasn't any divorce, anything like that, had a lot of privilege in that. Uh, my dad is Mexican and my mom is white. And um, so we grew up with that. We had family in San Antonio, would go down and see them once in a while, maybe once a year. So uh, I definitely look dark. My sister definitely looks dark. My other sister and my brother look a lot more white, so that it's just an interesting dynamic in our families. We would navigate that uh, in a place in the world that was not really open or not really um, experienced with racial diversity. Like in my school, my best friend Jaron was black, and that was it, really. I think he had some, he had like two cousins that were a little bit older, but that was it in our whole school. And that was the same growing up through middle school and through high school. I went to Maple Grove. If you know anything about Maple Grove, it's very rich. It's very non-diverse. So I was, I was kind of a standout there. So my experience growing up is that I believed up until, shoot, just a few years ago, honestly, that I was white. I, I really saw myself and I tried to picture myself as white. Still a lot of people look at me, talk at me like, oh, Mike, you definitely are white. <laughs> and... I did that for a few reasons. First of all, because we were a pretty white cultured family. We did some we, we, we did some of our Mexican side of stuff, but it, it was mostly living in this part of the world. We would do some food, some but we didn't really have any of that Mexican culture like baked into our family. And then at school I would always other, like if there was other Mexicans, I would point at others, others, others. I never embraced and be like, No, I'm Mexican because I wasn't proud of that because if I was, I was being made fun of for it. Um, and, and I'm not talking about like people throwing rocks at me or throwing trash at me and being like, you know, you done this, you done that. But it was just always the butt of the joke or taken a little less seriously. Oh, that's just <clears throat> Mexican Mike or, you know, Mexican. It was like always like never I'm just Mike. It's like that's Mike and he's Mexican. 
but it's like it was weird because I was never hearing my friends be like, oh, this is Mike and he's white. It was always Mike and he's Mexican because I was different, right? So that just gets in your brain. Like you're different. You're always different. You're always different. You're always different. You're always a little less than, just a little less than. So I'd always be like, oh, no, no, yeah, I would laugh at those jokes too. Um, so I really white cultured myself. And so as we ask some questions, the reason I'm bringing that up is I've had to do a lot of transformation in my own brain to get out of that whiteness thinking too. Um, and I'll explain what that is a, in a little while. So I'll just fast forward. Went through college, same kind of story. I went to UMD here and then got a job working with um, Northwood Children's Services here in town, working with, uh, with, with kids that, uh, with um, behavioral problems. Then everything changed for me when I got a job at St. Louis County doing child protection work, and I was doing um, ICWA, which is Indian Child Welfare Work. So I was working reunification, so we worked a lot with Fond du Lac Reservation here, and then honest, honestly just all the reservations around the state. Um, some reservations even out in Montana and stuff, depending on where the families were from. But with the reason this all changed is I started feeling, I would walk into homes where their children had just been taken, and I have to go and talk to these families and say, here's what you have to do to get your kids back. Now, if you know anything about our history around here, like, it is, <laughs> is really bad and really traumatizing for white social workers to go into a Native family and take their children from them, and then for white people to come back into their homes and say, here's what you have to do. There's all sorts of trauma and all sorts of history there, and so there's no trust at all. There shouldn't be any trust for social services, which is interesting because then I get hired. My boss is Native. I get hired on, and I walk into homes, and they're like, oh, thank God that we have a Native guy. I'm like, wait, I'm not native, I'm Mexican. They're like, it doesn't matter, you're brown and we trust you and we want to talk to you. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So the first time in my life I'm starting to like, oh, my color is serving me in a positive way. People are trusting me more. I'm like, this is what you guys all feel like every day when you walk in to get a cup of coffee? I'm like, dang, I want some of this. This is nice. Um, so, but even then I would still be having conversations with my boss about, um, well, yeah, you know, just, uh, yeah, people of color. She's like, you have to stop saying that. You are a person of color, Mike. She would, my boss was constantly reminding me, and it took, like, almost two years of doing that until I started to, like, accept that, no, I am brown. And then it was really cool because um, our sister did a DNA test and, um, and our dad, too, and it's like, oh, we're, we're totally Native. We're Native Mexican is what we are. And... And, and it was so cool because I had people calling that out to me every time I would go to home. They're like, no, 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 you're native. Like, you, you're probably native Mexican. I know, I know you have the last name Valdez, but, like, you're definitely our brother and sister. So that started changing um, my view on things. And, and I'm going to end with this, is I just have, over the last five years, have really dove into and dug into what it means to be a person of color and really reliving a lot of my experiences throughout my life and feeling a lot of pain over the last years about like, okay, here's the way that the world was looking at me. Things started to really make sense at like, and it wasn't the only reason, obviously, like there's, there's tons of factors that make us, that people will look at us differently or make us feel less than, right? But there's a large majority of that like due to the color of our skin. And, and again, I'm gonna explain that little bit a little bit more as we answer questions here. So where I'm at now is for five years, I had this, um, this, this awesome mentor and this boss who was native, really coaching me through what it meant to be a person of color, really embracing that. Um, and so during that, I'm having to do a lot of this um, unlearning of white culture. And when I'm talking about white culture, I'm talking about the culture that we um, have in this country. This country was founded by white people. It was not founded by people of color, and therefore their culture that they have brought and their agendas have set the way for the way we do life. It just trickles down through generation. It's the way we think. It's the way we our, our laws work. And so when I say white culture, I don't want it to seem as like an attack on anybody here. That's Well, everybody here, that's, <laughs> that's white besides you. That's my sister, by the way. If I keep pointing, I keep <laughs> pointing at her. She's the only. Um, oh, I'm sorry. And Amina and Amir are up there. But you girls are hiding, and I don't want to draw attention to you. So, <laughs> um, 
but I don't want this to today as we as we do this. I don't want it to feel as an attack. We're like having this open, inclusive conversation about how we can all do better. I've had to do it, and it sucks. It really sucks to do this transformation, dig up these biases and these thought processes that we have to face some ugly truths about the way that our culture actually was founded and that it operates. Um, Mike's going to be probably talking about that a little bit just because I know you. And so that's my story. That's where I'm at. Really somebody that is a person of color. Oh, I'll add this. Some credentials that I have in this area, I'm not an expert, but the amount of learning that I've been doing on this topic over the last five years is insane. It's been nothing but listening to podcasts, reading books, having conversations. And, and again, it's been five years, as well as being fully immersed in the, um, with, uh, uh, I would just say with my people, right? Like working on the res, working with families, hearing their stories, sharing their stories, reliving that trauma with them for five years. Uh, um, as well as at St. Louis County, they started an initiative where they it was like a diversity, equity, inclusion team, and I somehow got elected to be the um, the chair of that. Well, I had a co-chair um, of that team, but that was a team where they gave us just like hundreds of thousands of dollars, and I'm out uh, having to organize this for all of St. Louis County and um, t giving a lot of conversations, yeah, a lot of talks to like the county board, the, the, like the, the white men that like decide everything that we do around here. And uh, that was some pretty scary stuff, but a lot of responsibility, a lot of um, weight on my shoulders in that area. So I know a little bit, I'm not, again, I'm not an expert, I haven't been doing this my whole life, but I definitely have, if you have questions today, I can either, between Mike and I, I feel like we can answer any questions that you have, and if not, we can steer you in the right direction. And again, we'll get into what that looks like. So, here's Mike. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you be quiet up there. Cheer for me next time. Hi guys, I'm, I'm Mike Hendricks. Um, we, my, my wife and I, uh, and our family attended here for uh, close to the, the beginning, uh, Neighborhood Church. Um, so a little bit about me. Um, well, let's see where to start here. Um, so my my daughters are upstairs right now. We adopted them from Ethiopia. I'm not going to go into too much of that, but um, I, I want that. That's an important setting for those of you who don't know us. Uh, context, I should say. Um, so probably about I want to say 2014, 2015. Um, uh, my my our, my wife and I had uh, some stuff go on with it with a different church, and there was a lot of uh, conflict and a lot of stuff that was swirling around. And the in the the basic gist of it was at the in this particular uh, group th there was a number of people we were in kind of pseudo leadership at that point. Um, there was a number of people that were saying, "Hey guys, you know we feel like there's an in group and an out group in this church, an inner circle and an outer circle." Um, and that and we don't and we don't and we're not in the inner circle and it, it's kind of weird and 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 for me I couldn't fathom it I was like I don't know what you're talking about we never set that up um, the problem must be you you might not be getting plugged in you the problem is with you not not with us <laughs> so we had some of this conflict and stuff so we ended up kind of stepping down from leadership and taking a step back. And it was during that time that I very clearly realized there is actually an inner group and an out group, inner, you know, an inner circle and an outer circle. And there was, so it was not an inclusive space, we'll put it that way. Um, and so that rocked my world. Just that, that moment of aha, like, wow, this, I was completely blind to it. And when I saw that, it really, it really affected me to my core. Um, and so then I, and then, then I started. My my next question was, well, what else am I wrong about? <laughs> so as a cis head white dude, uh, there was a whole lot of perspective about the world and our culture that I was completely ignorant about. Um, I had a lot of biases. Uh, there was a whole lot um, from being raised evangelical my whole life um, in, in completely white spaces. Um, I didn't have any friends of color, really, uh, until about that time. <laughs> um, so there was a whole lot that I was ignorant of, and 
And I, and I, and I say that too because uh, we are parents, we are a transracial family, transracial adoptive family. Um, and so one quick note on that, because you know someone who is a person of color, you are married to someone who is a person of color, you have kids that are uh, people of color, any of that, you are not immune. We are not immune. Um, and so I hear, I have heard that a lot over the years. Well, this person is blah, blah, blah. So therefore I can't be wrong. <laughs> um, so, so anyway, so I started doing a deep dive into, into the patriarchy into, and into racism specifically. Um, and then uh, LGBTQ issues came, came down the road a little later for me, but I, we, my, my wife and I just started learning. We soaked it up, we learned. And then as a part of that, we, we started to, uh, we, we changed, we left the church, we got out of there, and then we came to neighborhood church. Um, we also split our time uh, at neighborhood church and we went to St. Mark's AME Church in Duluth, which is a historically black church. Uh, the AME was founded um, <laughs> because the Methodists basically wouldn't allow black folks to take communion and they were relegated to second-class citizens in that church in that denomination and so that that is how saint or how the ame um, uh, was was born uh, so we started going there and we started going to family freedom center which i don't remember if that's still going on anymore but we started to get plugged into more communities of color in duluth um, and that was a fantastic experience we met our, some of our best and most dearest friends, Gabrielle and Jarrell Ben, who now live in uh, Corpus Christi. Um, and we learned tremendously uh, from them, and, and they learned from us. Uh, we, it, it was beautiful. And then about, uh, probably once we, we met them, we started doing Whiteness 101 here at Neighborhood Church. Um, uh, we we kind of went through the curriculum and tweaked it a little bit, uh, and then we started offering that as small groups here at Neighborhood Church. So I am by no means a expert um, at all. <laughs> I've done a lot of learning, and we have um, uh, we've we've spent a lot more time in communities of color, um, and so so we've heard a lot of different experiences, a lot of different stories. Um, we don't live here anymore. Uh, we were camping here and not planning to do this, so I apologize for my appearance. Uh, <laughs> this was a surprise. Um, yeah, and so we, we recently moved our, uprooted our family uh, from ESCO and moved down to the Twin Cities, specifically Brooklyn Park. Um, and that's been a, overall a very positive and good experience for us. Yeah, I like what Mike was saying there, because we're gonna move into question and answers here, but I'm gonna reiterate that. Mike and I are not experts. In this area, okay? We're two. Chris, you're an expert. Why are you pointing at yourself? What's going on here? Yeah. Oh, gotcha. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Mike and I are not experts. We are just two guys that have done a lot of learning in this. And that's kind of the point is that I don't really believe any one person is, is an expert in this area. I mean, for all the stuff that we've listened to, Mike, I, everybody's like, yeah, we don't, there isn't really a one right way to solve this problem. Mike and I have some ideas, and we think we're cool, but as we answer questions today, uh, my, my one thing is I don't want you to feel that, like, don't leave here and say, well, Mike and Mike said this, so this is the way that it is. I would rather you say Mike and Mike said this, I'm going to take that, I'm going to think about that, I'm going to learn for that for myself, then I'm also going to hear stories from other people and together, eclectically, kind of form your own view on this. The second thing I'll say to keep in mind as you ask any question that you want is um, this is a growing process. Mm -hmm. What I've seen, after, like really right around uh, after George Floyd was murdered, right around that time, what I saw was a lot of like, hey, how do we fix this problem? And I'm starting to attack it a more in like, uh, how do we, we get we here in neighborhood are always working on being inclusive, right? See how this stuff that we're talking about today fits in your overarching view of how you're becoming a more inclusive person in general and fit it into that rather than, well, I have to, what do I focus on? Do I focus on inclusivity here, here, or here? What if we just focused on inclusivity altogether? And this is just a part of it. So. Uh, Chris is going to have some questions. Chris, do you have, 
How do you, I don't think Chris explained this, but I guess you can text him. He's going to put it up on the screen. Okay, that's what it is. So Chris is going to put this up on the screen. Go ahead, Mike. Oh, so if you have questions, you can text Chris. Chris will shoot the questions to me and Mike. Well, either one of us will answer, both of us will answer. Uh, if you feel like raising your hand and you just want to ask it out loud, totally fine. And I also have asked some people uh, before this question, so I've got some good questions here that we can answer. We're going to just do some teaching here. Before we go, no question is a dumb question. If it is an offensive question, I'm going to gracefully just show you why. That's a better way to say it. Yeah. However, it is actually good if you ask yes. those kind of questions because then the rest of us might be having those and we can all together learn maybe why that's not the best way, but nobody's going to be pointing at you and be like, oh my gosh, Max, <laughs> you said that? I can't believe it. Because we're all learning and we're all at different points in this and that's how we move forward, right? So Chris has got a question. So if you didn't, well, yeah, you wouldn't have heard that. So anybody um, <laughs> online, if, uh, if you're watching, all five of you, uh, you can put your questions in the comments, and I guess Chris is uh, hip with it and wow. Is it, is it wow and with it or with it and wow? Okay. <laughs> All of that, uh, Chris will, because uh, he's technologically savvy, will throw the questions at us. So let's open it up. What do you got? We've got, uh, Chris said keep this to two and a half hours, so <laughs> he's, he's got lunch coming. Awesome question. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I Honestly, you could probably answer this too, Mike. It's both. And so we go through waves of this. So I said right now I'm kind of shifting my focus. If you guys heard me talk like two years ago, I was really angry, like really, really angry, especially um, around George Floyd's murder when, when you had a ton of black and brown folks just kind of trying to stand up for what they would believe in and the backlash that they were getting for that, like that made me really angry. So there's a couple parts of that. Um, the anger comes from me feeling like my childhood was kind of a lie, like I was tricked, like I was taught to be something that I'm not, that I wasn't embracing that. So I missed out on all those years of being able to embrace myself feeling beautiful for the color of my skin. I still feel angry right now saying that. <laughs> I, I haven't felt this angry in a while, because uh, that sucks. That's missing out on a huge piece of yourself. Second of all, I'm angry for what's going on in the world because now a light bulb is going on in my head and I'm seeing it from a different light. I'm like, instead of being kind of that white mentality growing up and being like, well, mm, ah, man, this is going to sound terrible, but like, in a way, certain people have kind of asked for the treatment that they're getting. Like, or like, um, they're not immune. And instead of just believing and feeling these stories, and now I'm, now I'm angry because I'm seeing, oh, there's, this is actually what's happening. And then, um, but at the same time, very empowering because I'm getting those responses from people and I'm sharing with people like, here's who I am. And people are like, yeah, welcome to the club. You're included. You're welcome here. You're beautiful because of the color of your skin. And that is so empowering. And that's probably where I'm at right now is feeling a lot more empowered and just like, honestly, I don't really care the way that people look at me. I've, I've felt my grief. I've gone through that and that was a lot of pain and I'll still kind of feel it. But now I'm empowered and have that confidence to move forward because I've reconciled and worked through that. But it will always be something that, yeah, it, it does kind of frustrate me and does hurt. And I would say, I, I kind of want to interject a little bit. I have felt very angry and lied to. Um, my, my whole childhood, we never really talked about race. There was allusions to it, um, but we never talked about it. And, and so the things that I learned in my 30s, um, I should have learned in school. 
I should have learned our history, things would make a whole lot more sense of why things are broken and why things are the way they are. Um, so I, 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 was, I went through a lot of anger, still, still am, um, and I'm all, I've also got, I have also been very angry at the white evangelical church, uh, to, be, to very, be very blunt, because I felt very lied to about a lot of things, um, and betrayed, and have had to work through a lot of that, and uh, you're right, it, it comes and goes in waves, depending on what's going on, and uh, there's obviously a lot going on right now. So that's very real, um, and that's something that, that if you d dive into this work, there's going to be some grief. There's going to be all sorts of emotions that come up that uh, will be important to process through with other people. That's why I love that question, because it just is a quick thing, because this, this isn't easy work. No. Inner growth is not easy, and it is going to hurt, but it's awesome if you can come on the other side. Oh, I'm sorry. The question was, <laughs> totally forgot. Thanks, Chris. So the question was, it was pointed at me, but I opened it up to Mike to what, Mike to, hey, that does work. Mike to, Mike as well. You guys get it? Because it's like also like T-O-O, -O, this like, <laughs> but he's also number two, like the number two, because we were just, Chris doesn't like this. So the question was, is I was growing up and starting to reconcile this and becoming aware of who I was. Was there a lot of anger there? Was there um, liberation? Was there empowerment? And what did that look like? I've got kind of an answer. Maybe you've got an answer too. Go ahead. Yep. So the question is, is person A has a one child that has a Native American father and has another child that has a Mexican father. How can I encourage them to um, embrace their culture or to follow that more? I would say just that. And I think there was the implication that because this is a white person asking this, that maybe they didn't have grounds to do it. And I think that maybe that's, I would encourage the opposite, actually. I would encourage just because you're white doesn't mean you can't do this stuff. There's, you can totally encourage this stuff. You can totally do this with your friends and you can totally say, hey, I want to learn this. So I would do just that. And, and also that, that brings up a good thing is calling out the differences is a very good thing. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's, the there's the classic, well, I don't see color. The, and, and maybe some of you don't believe that and, and will like, laugh at that. However, um, the reason that that's not good is because color is beautiful. Right? That makes me who I am, and it's okay to call that out. So I would, for whoever asked that question, I would make that a point as much as you can. Be like, hey, you're Mexican, you're beautiful. I, are you interested in that? We did this a lot with our Native kids in, in social work that they, they had no interest in their native culture because it never really served them and because it, was, it, it didn't serve them and it was honestly dangerous to uh, dive into that. So we would say, are you interested in this? And we'd constantly be giving them opportunities, whether it be books, movies, shows, events, um, ceremonies, different practices, and say, hey, is this something that you would like? And just talking to them about where you're at. Hey, I don't know a lot about this, but I know that this is important to your family or this is, does this interest you? And letting your children kind of evolve and have the freedom to grow in that, like any of you parents would, giving your children the freedom to evolve into that. And you might have a little bit to say on that as well, having kids. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so being a transracial adoptive family, um, we, we, we didn't do that from the beginning, unfortunately. Um, and so, like I said, around 2014 is when we really started uh, uh, going and spending our time and, and resources in different circles. Um, and so the one thing I would say for that is just do it. <laughs> it, it doesn't come natural. It doesn't come easy. Um, you, you need to search that out and be intentional. Um, and it was hands down the best decision we ever made. I feel, as a white man, I feel much more well-rounded. I feel uh, liberated in some ways, and 
Uh, I have grown immensely from myself being in, um, in these spaces where I might be the minority. Um, it's been beautiful and we've been welcomed in with open arms by and large. Um, be genuine. You don't need to perform. Just be real. When you make mistakes, you, uh, you keep going. You apologize. You seek to understand why and you know better and do better. Um, but, but really, it takes intentional work. You have to show up, and not once, not twice, but repeated. And uh, I would, I don't want to speak for my kids, but I, I think it has been a very beneficial and, and good thing for our, our family as a whole. One thing that I've loved as a person of color is when I have white people come to me and be like, hey, this is going to sound dumb. I know I'm white, but like, can you just walk me through this? Chris does this to me all the time. <laughs> just um, actually, no, he has now that I think about it. But that's super cool because that's humbling, mm -hmm. right? So if you have kids, just call it out the way that you are. I, mean, I don't know a lot about this, but I know that this is right and I want to get into it. I, I might sound a little dumb, but that humility is, is really great. Also, you don't need to have uh, kids of color to do this. I highly suggest everyone here uh, to do that. You will, your lives will be enriched. And if our kids, if our white kids are never are exposed to these things, how are they supposed to do be any different if, that, if they never see anything different? I'm going to answer this differently than probably a lot of people would. The question is, is I have been working with youth in the Northland, and as they're struggling and going, whether they're white or kids of color, as they're struggling through their identity and figuring, I'll, I'll kind of add to your, as they're kind of figuring this uh, stuff out, how have I empowered them and encouraged them moving forward? I was a very unconventional, I'm not doing it anymore. I haven't been doing social work for about a year, um, but still kind of do work with youth in a way. Um, I was very unconventional in my ways in that I didn't try to like teach youth anything. I just showed up and I just hung out with them and I listened to them. And I did that for a long time until I earned street cred or clout or whatever the kids say these days, like um, reputation with them. And through that, encourage them is any time that they would say something, man, I just, I'm, I'm thinking this one kid, he was like 17, and um, he was a res kid, and he just absolutely thought him of himself as trash, never thought he could do anything, and so I would just sit and listen instead of, oh, you can do this, you can do this. He had social workers coming in and telling him that all the time. He didn't care about that because he didn't believe it. But if he brought it up, I would attach to any, any time that I could catch him saying something positive about himself, I would latch onto that and be like, dude, tell me more about that. Oh, so you do think, or what was one thing? He was like, yeah, I think, I think someday I'd really like to be like a video game designer. And I'm like, tell me more about that. Why do you think, oh, because I really like this. Oh, you do? Tell me more about what you know about that. And then he would like start to get, oh yeah, I, I do, I do have value, I do have worth, I do. So just and it wasn't very often. And so as as an adult, I had to be really, really patient, really patient with these guys and wait and wait and wait and wait. Because unfortunately, is it a cultural thing that we want to do things and we want to do things fast and we want to fix problems and we want to fix them now? It just really doesn't work that well. So that's I, I just had an unconventional approach of just forming a lot of relationship with these guys or girls. Actually, I didn't really have any teenage ladies, so mostly guys. And, um, and just through that, encouraging them at, at, at little points. And then if, if they were ever vulnerable enough and so break down and crying or in those vulnerable stages, then I would say, hey, can I, can I tell you some stuff? Or do you want to know what I think about that? Yeah, I totally do. Okay, let me share some stuff. And then naturally, it would just, hey, Mike, I got some stuff I want to I wanna ask you. Can you tell me your opinion? But yeah, I would say patience. Go ahead, Chris. Uh, I got a question. I know the math, so 
<laughs> the statement, the question is, is why is the statement all lives matter? I'm, I'm going to give a brief answer, and then I, Mike, I think you probably have a really good answer to this. The statement, the question is, is why is the statement all lives matter so offensive? And the first thing that comes to my mind is when you're saying all lives matter, you're ignoring that black lives matter. Yes. And let me quick say something on black lives matter, because people want to say, well, all lives matter. But the truth is, we're not, we're not, yeah, of course, we all believe that all lives matter. But what black lives matter is saying is this country does not, as a whole, maybe you as individuals think that black lives matter, but this country, the way that it is in our culture, does not think black lives matter. It's very apparent. So when people are standing up and saying black lives matter, they're not saying other people don't matter. They're just saying, hey, this world doesn't value us, and we're just saying, no, we are valued. So it, it is kind of a way of saying all lives matter because all lives do matter except black lives. We've seen that. So do you want to give a shot at that too? Um, so one of the things that I've, uh, probably one of the most poignant responses I've heard to that is uh, all lives don't matter until black women matter or black gay women. You know, like that thing. When, and the idea behind that is that when... When, the mar when those who are most marginalized, when they are still being oppressed and marginalized, their lives, our society is saying their lives don't matter. And so you can't say all lives matter when, when clearly they're not in, in society. And so the other thing with that too is that, that that saying didn't come out and didn't come about until there, is, until there was an outcry for civil rights, okay? That's what it was. That's what it is. And so what you, are, what you are saying when you are saying that is that there, where a whole group of people are crying out and saying our lives don't matter, when you say that, you're saying, nah, I don't believe you. I think all lives matter, so we're good. That, that's, that's really the heart and the attitude behind it. Um, it's not so much the words, but I would say it's, it's the heart and attitude. And any time that there is a movement for civil rights in this country, there has always, every single time, been a backlash. Every single time. And there has always been a backlash against civil rights coming from the American church. And so that is something that we need to do business with. Every single time. Like, when we look, that was one of the things from Whiteness 101. When I first started, there was a group called Be the Bridge. Uh, it's a Facebook group started by Latasha Morrison. Uh, and it, it was fantastic. That, was, that really opened things up to me. It was a good on-ramp. Um, th that was one of the most catching things about that curriculum was that in the history of our country, the American church has been on the wrong side of history every single time. And so, th so that's, so all lives matter. We need to understand that that is a response to a whole people group's cry against their oppression. So if that's a stance you want to take, you got to know that is how it is being received by these people groups. To go along with that, um, I had some preloaded questions here. Um, along the idea of all lives matter, which is which is really cool. I have I'm going to group these two questions into one and the questions are how do I come off as a non-racist when I just care about everybody already and Is there a better way to talk about? Inclusion when I'm already being just really nice and non-racist And that is actually a really tricky thing because we do live in a part of the world that is uh, especially in Minnesota here very Minnesota nice very passive-aggressive and we don't <laughs> and we don't think about this stuff so the challenge here for me at least is to flip our lens on that same thing with all lives matter all lives matter is kind of like hey let's just pretend that this doesn't exist but it does exist and that's the key the key is we have to believe that this exists and to do that listen to stories listen to my stories listen to other people's stories and don't just brush over that it doesn't exist because that's why we're in this problem in the first place because when this country was founded it's like no 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 these problems don't exist and anybody time anybody challenged these it's like no 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 it's okay because of this or that doesn't exist because of this and pushing it off to the side and just like like sweeping it under the rug right like it's just like it, the 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 gunk and the dirt builds up we have to flip that rug up and be like no it does exist we need to take care of this problem 
problem because it's there. So, sure, like, you might be the nicest guy in the world, my brother-in-law, right there, next to Chris Otter, of course. And you might love everybody, and you might really accept everybody, but as a person of color who has been around people their whole lives that are super nice, it still just isn't super genuine if you're not seeing me and you're not being like seeing all the pain and struggles that I'm going through. You can be as nice as you want, and I don't, and that's not the point. The point here is how do we, it's not like how do we be nicer to people of color, but it's how do we see people of color? How do we include people of color? How do we feel about people of color? And those of you in this church that we've done a lot of talking about uh, your gender identity or your sexual identity, you can pair with us in this. It's, it's, it's one thing for people just to be nice to you, saying like, oh, it's okay that, you, that your sexuality is this way or your gender is this way. But, like, that doesn't fully feel good until somebody's like, I, I affirm you for being like that and I see you for being like that. So, go ahead, Chris. Oh, Oh, never mind. Sure, we'll wrap it up, Chris, after this question, but I will stick around for a little while if people want to have some other questions and stuff so the rest of you guys can go and do whatever you do on Sundays. Okay. <laughs> When you are being perceived as, shoot, I know who did this, so <laughs> I know who wrote this. I know the wording. Um, when you are pre- being perceived as, honestly, do you remember it? I, how does, what was the exact wording verbatim? I'm just caught up in it because I'm laughing at it. But, Yeah. Okay, I got it. There it is. When you perceive that you're being treated differently by somebody, how do you know if it's because of your race or something else or if you're just truly being a jerk? Yeah. All right, I got a good one. Because <laughs> um, I've already kind of talked about this a little bit, so I have it fresh in my head, then Mike will give you a stab at it too. And this is a good one because it's going to get us thinking outside the box again about this, about this topic. The answer is it's, it might be both. It might be all of the above. And so let's just take an example for me. Um, yeah, I'll just say it. I know this is going to be recorded. <laughs> That's why I'm struggling with it. But whatever. Truth needs to be told, right? So I'm part of an activity where I feel this way a lot. And I feel looked down on or not taken seriously and, I, and a lot of the times, I don't know why. As a person of color, like, there is just some sort of, like, I can't explain it, but I, I used to think that it was fake until I started talking to my other friends of color. I started, like, um, like a circle of, like, BIPOC, like, uh, support group. And, and then I started realizing every single other person of color has the same experience. It's like, we just have this ability to tell when it's because of the, the, the color of our skin and when it's not. I can't explain it. But it's just like you can just tell if you're relatively woke to the idea and you haven't been like kind of white culture. Like I couldn't feel that growing up until I started doing the work and like embracing who I was as a person of color. Now I can feel it. However, that doesn't let me off the hook as a person of color to just excuse everything for me being a person of color because I have to hold accountability for myself and for my actions. So instead of this is just the way that I do it, I am one of... 10 bazillion people that um, on this planet. But here's how I would do it. Now I have done it. Is if I feel that way, I have to ask myself a couple questions with that. Does it matter whether this person is treating me um, differently because I'm a jerk or because I'm a person of color or whatever it is? Do I really need... And if I call that out, is that going to do anything in, in this particular circumstance? So in the activity that I am in, there might be some reasons that it's because I'm more inexperienced. There's probably reasons that it's because of maybe like the way that I talk or mental health stuff or that I am a person of color. So when I, I use that, like when I'm feeling that trigger of, hey, somebody's treating me differently because I'm a person of color, that's an instant, um, like a stoplight for me to stop and think. Okay, let me analyze. How am I showing up in this area? Am I being a jerk? 
am I being insensitive? Am I, do I need to tone it down a little bit? And I can go through those checklists. And if I know that I'm doing that and I'm taking care of that, that can make, and then I can be like, oh yeah, it probably is because I'm a person of color. However, gives me the opportunity to think even deeper, being like, well, that person might not be being overtly racist. They might just not have checked their biases and they might, it might be a little bit because of that and a little bit because of that. So I can go down this rabbit hole of whether or not this matters. So what I do is, was that overtly racist? Do I feel like this is a pattern and is this something I need to call out? If not, I kind of just let it go and use it as a check for myself to say, hey, how do I show up better in this world? But as a person of color, now you're starting to see why this is so tough. These are the things that I have to navigate in every conversation that I'm doing with folks all the time. So the reason I just shared all of that processing and all of that is my brain just does that naturally. But I'm telling you, my friends, my people of color, they're also doing the same thing, even though they don't have wound up brains like mine. That's how we have to navigate the world. We're having to wonder, is this a safe place for me? And going through all these things and then checking ourselves and saying, how am I showing up in the world? How am I not? So what, the point that I'm trying to get at there is just that is good for you to know that that's going on because then you can become more sensitive and inclusive to that. Um, and just being aware of your own biases and the way that you are coming across in those spaces and even like calling that out Yes. So, yeah, I, I was I was thinking of that from a slightly different perspective. I've never had to think that. I've never I, as a cis white head, you know, um, guy. I've never had to think about. Well, are they treating me different because I'm a white guy, or like, you know, like I mean, I, I've never had to think about that. And so, so what I would say, like my the the people that I've talked to, I've had a lot of these conversations with people in the black community specifically. Um, and it's a huge toll, I can tell you that much. It is a toll that doesn't really go away ever when you are hanging out with white folk, specifically. Uh, because you're always, what I've, what I've heard many of our friends say is that they're always go, like checking themselves. Am I feeling, am I just be overacting? Am I cra it's a crazy making in its own way. And that is a privilege that most of us here don't have to think about or worry about. And so, much like those who uh, are LGBTQ or trans or, or any of those kind of things, women, you know, in a, in a career setting, uh, any of those things, there's a whole lot of crazy making. Am I crazy? Is this person saying this? Or am I just in, imagining this? That's all real. And, and we need to be aware of that. Um, also, again, on that, it is incredibly, incredibly difficult to prove discrimination. And so every time we look out in, in culture and we see, well, there's no problems anymore. There's no discrimination in the housing markets, in renters, you know, in, in jobs. You can't prove that anymore. You could have the, like the most white supremacist person and, the, well, I have a black friend. I'm not racist. You know, like you can't, it, it is so incredibly difficult in a court of law to prove discrimination that's why like the policies when we when we take away all the regulations um and, and the protections it makes it even harder for people navigating these things so when you are discriminated how are you going to prove it yeah. you can't you know and so like I, I i bring that up because it those are some of the things that we as, as white folk need to really be aware of and um and think a little bit more deeply and nuanced about so I'll close it out, Chris, and, and it's kind of on, kind of on that note. Um, I think what I really would like for folks to take away, and I, I'm also thinking we should do this more often, a couple times a year, because it's just fun, and I think we should do this with other marginalized groups too, just kind of have questions and answers. We've done this before, and it's super, super helpful. So along that line, I want I kind of, here's where I'm at. I might be different in six months. The takeaway that I want for you folks here is, I wouldn't get caught up on all the little details, right? Just like we don't get caught up on the details of whether the Bible is literal or not, we're looking at the bigger picture. What is it pointing towards? And we're, what, what the main goal that we're looking here is, is how do we become more inclusive, right? That was Jesus' main message that we talk about here all the time. How do we love people more? And we love people more by becoming more inclusive. How do we become more, more inclusive? We do that inner work with ourselves on becoming better people, free, not free of bias, but challenging every bias that we have 
So I'm not some person, I'm not a person of color that's sitting up here saying, well, poor me, poor me, or I get all this authority because I'm a person of color. I'm not. I also have a lot of privilege and status in the way that I was brought up. My parents were never divorced. I have siblings that are all together. I'm a man. That's a huge privilege. I have a little bit of generational wealth. Like, I, you know, these are all privileges that I have and uh, uh, biases that I have that I have to challenge every single day, and I'm doing that. Like, just hang out with me for a while. I say weird things like, oh, I'm sorry, I'll stop talking. I, as a man, I'm totally talking over you. You're a woman, just let me pull back. And it, but it's, it's, it's what I have to do, right? I have to challenge my bias. If I'm going to be up here telling you to challenge your bias, I have to be challenging my bias too. So let's do that. Let's just, how do we not get caught up on the, the little nuanced things and just become more inclusive in general and attack the problem of racism as we are with, um, with all the other uh, topics of inclusion that we've been doing here and just kind of add it to that rep repertoire of becoming more inclusive and more loving and accepting people. And it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to challenge your bias. It's going to be tough to say, yeah, I'm wrong in this area or this is screwed up. Um, but it, it's so liberating. Like the very first question, is this hard or is it liberating? But once you do that, once you go through the pain, it is so liberating. And I have never seen people more beautiful. I've never been closer to God than um, doing not only what we've done with like liberating our spirituality, but also just like with culture and race and sexuality and gender. It's, it's been great. So sorry, folks, we went way over today, but we love it. This is good stuff. Uh, thanks for coming to Neighborhood Church. Have lots of fun today. The weather was supposed to be rainy. Now it's not. So enjoy the afternoon, and we'll see you back next week. And I would say, too, keep learning. Keep learning. There's a plethora of information out there. Um, I, can, I can get with Chris and give, get some. There's tons of podcasts, tons of books, articles. Start there and intent, go out and intentionally befriend people that are different than you. Thanks for, for being here, Mike, on short notice. I told him, like, yesterday. So thanks, guys.